listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Damian Parson and Blake Murphy. All about your Arizona Cardinals. And we are live here with the Revenge of the Birds podcast, recording this on a Monday afternoon for me, uh, Monday evening for my co-host, Damian. Uh, this is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. My name is Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. He's DP underscore NFL. And the Arizona Cardinals drop a game to the division rival Los Angeles Rams. They fall to one and two on the year. And it wasn't the disaster that I think that we have seen from the previous, I guess you could say, six quarters. It's been a better six quarters for Cardinals fans, I think, than what we were seeing. But it's still not really the team that I think people were promised. Uh, Damien's here to talk with me all about it. Dame, what is the biggest, I think, takeaway you can say from the game? But uh, before we even get into that, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, man. Um, you know, like I said, we're pretty much in a full swing of you know, NFL and college, we're about to be heading into week four of the NFL after um, after tonight's Monday night game uh, between Dallas and the Giants. And just uh, the crazy thing about it, man, it's like literally we're about to be into week four. It's like we blinked and the season started from the season starting to now. It's like, wow, like you tell me three weeks have already gone by of NFL football Yes, they have. So I'm just enjoying it, Blake, like being in full swing, you know, not having to wait for games and everything. It's like, man, I, the schedule set. Everything's ready to rock and roll. I know Thursday I got uh, some college football on Friday and, of course, Saturday. Then we got Sunday and Monday for NFL. Absolutely. Been some fun high school games in the state of Arizona as well for those who follow high school football. Uh, but let's talk at least about our current game. Uh, Cardinals lose 20-12. to 12. A score which we've seen before. They've lost 20-12 to 12 to the San Francisco 49ers. It was a, probably a more similar game in hindsight. hindsight. Really what it comes down to, though, is we see with the Cardinals. They open the game with a punt. The Rams go down eight plays for a field goal. Cardinals punt. Rams go down, score a touchdown on a seven-play drive. Cardinals punt again. See another field goal. Rams are up 13-0. to At that point, it Felt very much like you were unbound for another 20-0 type of first quarter. The defense was able to bounce back, but ultimately it was inconsistent. Uh, Rams at least do finally score a touchdown, at least in the, I believe it was, uh, what was that, late third quarter, I think it was at least, or, uh, yeah, in the third quarter. Uh, And that essentially ended up being, for the most part, the last time the Cardinals would end up scoring would be at the very end of the game after a 17 play drive uh, Damien the the biggest story I think coming out of this has been the offense but I think we need to start with talking about the deconfent uh the defensive inconsistencies excuse me that we saw from Arizona the first quarter it looked like they couldn't you know swat a fly if they wanted to you get into the second and third quarter it looks like all of a sudden they are stopping what seemed to be a juggernaut Rams offense and at the end of the game, force a fumble to essentially save a field. It just feels like the defense has not really been, um, for the most part, an identity of to the same degree that they were last year of this team being a defensive team that would take the ball away and score. What do you make of how the Cardinals performed on defense on Sunday? Uh, I mean, it, like like, we, like you kind of alluded to, it was inconsistent, right? Coverage was solid. I mean, you, just back-to-back weeks where you basically – effectively taking the top receiver and not just the top receiver, but you have two of the best last week was Devonte Adams in the two catches this week. It was Cooper cup, a guy that is so difficult to get a grasp on based on how Sean McVay aligns him with stack sets and bunch sets and motion. And in the backfield, he's everywhere. And it's hard to, it's literally like the defense is coming out of the huddle. Uh, and, and the defense is looking at the offense coming out of the huddle, rather, and it's basically like playing where's Waldo, like where's Cooper Cup. And to hold him to four catches for 44 yards, Blake, if I, if I had said this to you last last Monday, we both would have been like, that's a win. Like right. that's, that's an absolute win to hold uh, that caliber of receiver um, to four catches for less than 50 yards. He did have the rushing touchdown. Um you know, that got them on the board. It got them that, that score. But I feel like the defense, like I said, was coverage was solid. Jason Whitaker, man, 
it, I, I continue to say it, and it's, you know, it may sound like I'm beating a dead horse, but guys, like, th- this should not be the case. PFF graded him a 28 mm-hmm. in coverage. He was targeted seven times, allowed seven receptions, which is a hundred percent completion rating against him. Completion percentage, he allowed 117 uh, receiving Oof. yards, 17 yards per, care, per per catch, and it's just like, man, you know. And the longest throw was 32, 32 yards he gave up. But the fact that he was beaten like a drum. Yeah. And then you look at like a Marco Wilson. You know, shout out to Marco, man. They targeted him five times, and they only completed one, and that was for six yards. He was pretty locked out. He played great coverage. He looked good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Byron Murphy allowed three or four for 41 yards. That's not, you know, it's not horrible. But just, he got a couple a lot of the day, and that's impressive, I think, yeah. at least, where they did give him some help. There was, I know, that deep pass that cup dropped, but he was double bracketed. So yeah, they yeah. did a good job of identifying, like you said, where the biggest matchup was, you saw how the Rams essentially had to get down to um, Skoranek and essentially Allen Robinson were not really able to move the ball well through the air. And on the ground, really after that first drive, there was just one big play, I think, at least for the most part with that Cam Akers touchdown. They overall held the Rams to 20 points, and you could say that they probably did their job in this game. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. And like I said, you know, outside Jace Whitaker, Everyone else did a good job, a solid job in coverage. Like I said, the main thing that I really noticed when we kind of talked about was the pass rush was non-existent, right? Now, this team was charted for four QB hits, five hurries, and they had one sack. But to me, like when you look at the fact that, man, like you don't have a a true pass rush guy, a guy that you lined up and said, hey, he's going to get – He's going to go and get the sacks for us. You know, J.J. Watt got a sack in a hurry. Um, Zach Allen got a QB hit in a hurry. Uh, Jalen Thompson got a QB hit. Marcus Golden got a little bit on the hurry and QB hit action. But a lot of times, when you have hurries and pressures, it just means nobody's what we call closing. No one's closing the deal, right? Like, you get close to buying a house, but you just don't finish the deal. You don't get the closing costs all the way down. And that's the thing with with the passers, it just, they weren't consistent. They didn't consistently get back there. And, and even when they did, like I said, not closing, there was a, uh, a play where I believe it was a, he spun out of it. Matthew Stafford was, was pressured heavily, quickly. He spun out of it, hit Cooper cup. For, I think it was on a third down for a key first down. And it's like, man, give the offense the ball back. Uh, but that, that's kind of the, the inconsistencies, right? Like, like I said, just the pass rush was not consistently there. Coverage was solid. Uh, linebacker played, you know, in the run game. They, they, they gave up some, some running some running lanes, and uh, I believe that was the second touchdown that was allowed, mm-hmm. and that was the Cam Akers. Um, and he had a, he had some running room, but not a ton. But, yeah, it was, just, it was just an inconsistent display overall as a defense. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, Jace Whitaker is the Achilles heel of the team. I subscribe to a philosophy that – defensive play you're only as strong as your weakest link we saw that i think in week one with isaiah simmons getting picked on in coverage every time he was matched up with travis kelsey or when we saw times that you had a zaven collins as a linebacker matched up on a receiver they got exploited and i think that they're exploited again jace whitaker i believe gave up like you said was it like 170 i think pass yards I think that's about half of all of Matthew Stafford's yards in this game. So that really shows that not only is it hard, I think, for the Cardinals and their coaching staff to trust a new player like a Trayvon Mullen or maybe even to adjust to uh, someone who's outside. Mullen, at least, I believe, just from the snap count, played less than 10 snaps on the game. It was his first game active. It just shows at least that if you've got weaknesses that are at a certain position, whether that was a Simmons at linebacker or um, Jace Whitaker at corner, teams will find a way to exploit that. That's something that I think is interesting as far as with the Cardinals, how they try to go with a different philosophy in offense. We'll talk about some of the offense for the most part and how you know schematically there's been areas that they may need to look at adjusting. Uh, but like you said, the biggest thing I think overall was when your coverage is noticeably going to be weak, that's when your front seven has to be able to step up. 
And so far, the biggest thing I think you can see is that the pass rush for the Cardinals, at least in that game, while there was pressure that was there on Stafford, ultimately, I think that you mentioned, you said uh, before the, the notes that we couldn't really identify it. The biggest area of the pass rush that you identified was that missed sack of Matthew Stafford on that third and 11 play that turned into a touchdown. It just was not identifiable on the day. Uh, you can at least say that, you know, J.J. Watts got a couple of sacks through the season, but when your best pass rusher is a 33-year-old who's not under contract for next season, really it just shows that someone's going to have to probably step up for the Cardinals or they're going to have to make some sort of a move. And right now I think you're talking about the coverage issues, the pass rush issues. All of these, I think, were identifiable before the season. And credit Arizona for stepping up as far as, you know, not being the worst defense in the NFL like they were through week one. <laughs> but that's a really, really low bar to climb when you're talking about it. And the Cardinals, for what it's worth, need to find a better form of pass rush because as it is right now, you're not going to be able to defeat a veteran quarterback like Matthew Stafford by just relying on the blitz. No, not at all. You, you have to get to him with four, uh, take away those, those quick uh, passing outlets. Um and, and it's almost a reverse, uh, Blake. Like our pass rush um, isn't reliable and consistent, and neither has been the offensive line, right? Like, the, and that's kind of what's plagued this offense. You know, we they, 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 we we figure okay, you keep five running backs, you're gonna run the ball and things of that nature. But Blake, like the offensive line has just not been a consistent, good, consistent group. Uh, Kelvin Beecham, you know, struggling. You know, he struggled last week, you know, albeit that was Max Johnson, right? You know, I mean, Max Crosby, who was just, he, he's an animal. But still, yet yeah, he was dominated last week for most of that game. Against, uh, you know, yesterday, he struggled again, giving up uh, three more pressures and, uh, and hurries and uh, QB, you know, QB hits and whatnot. I think he was one of the, uh, yeah, he had three, three pressures, a, a hurry, and a QB hit, and he gave him a sack. Uh, you know what I mean? Like he gave up the the, the, the quad the quadruple. He gave up all four. Like he, yep. he was involved in all four, but Justin you know uh, Justin Pugh was the one that graded out the worst uh, out of you know per PFF uh, in terms of pass blocking grades. He gave up three pressures and three hurries. No sacks though. Uh, DJ Humphreys was pretty. He was legit for most for pretty much the entire game. No pressures. No hurries. No hits. No sacks. Nothing. He did his job well, but it's just the, like I said, the offensive line. Um, Will Hernandez, you know, getting the and shout out to Raheem Morris. He did a good job getting Aaron Donald singled up one on one with Will Hernandez, which is what you typically don't want to do. You try to double team him, but he found a way to scheme up some the way the defensive line slanted and send some extra guys to where hey, now it's communication. Who has who? And lo and behold, Will Hernandez is one on one with the best player in football and that's Aaron Donald and he was able yeah. to get back there and make some plays so the offensive line just you know you hope to see them get to a place of consistency and and cohesiveness um but I I want to I want to throw this out there to you this is something I thought about there are teams that you know offensive line right like when the Chargers just lost their all pro left tackle you know um mm-hmm to a torn, I think, tricep. So he's out for the season. Um, and I'm Rashawn, that's Rashawn Slater, for those who don't know. Yeah. And, and teams that are dealing with the, those offensive line injuries, we have Josh Jones. And I'm not going in that direction. Some people may I'm not talking about trading Josh Jones. But I would absolutely shop, even if it's for a middle round pick, fourth or fifth, Kelvin Beecher. You know, hmm. he, I would shop him. Because for one, I, I just feel as if he's not one of those guys that you want to rely on drop like in uh, offense like this is going to drop back thirty to forty times a game easily. Like no, like I, I've never really trusted him in pass protection one on one. I trust DJ, you know DJ Humphrey. I just don't trust him enough for that. I, I you know his his tape has always has been inconsistent. Whether it's like wide hands. In terms of his, his punch placement, his punch timing, he doesn't protect his chest, which allows him to be driven back. And now he's in retreat mode, and he's trying to stabilize himself to get balance and anchor and set his feet. And it's like, man, you already lost the leverage battle and momentum. 
So it's those things that, for me, it's like, if, if I don't know how you feel, Blake, but I wanted to pose that to you. If a team, you know, teams that need an offensive tackle due to these injuries, would you be open to tra- trading away um, Kelvin Beecher? Because his contract expires at the end of the season, where we then will be able to get a chance to see Josh Jones more than likely full-time at tackle, uh, which we should have already at this point. But how would you feel about trading him off? I think that it really depends on your faith in the depth that you have with the Cardinals because, like you said, that fourth or fifth round pick for a guy who's 32 years old is on an expiring contract, a natural left tackle. I tweeted out that I think it could be a possibility at least as far as it's something that could just make sense. You've got that extra depth. You've got a 25-year-old who's essentially being primed to take over at left tackle next year. I should say right tackle anyway. The one thing, at least, that's coming up at the O-line is you take a look at the rest of Arizona's depth as far as for what they have on the offensive line, and really, you'd probably be having to bring back a guy like a Joshua Miles if you're going to or looking at, you know, the teams from the team's practice squad. You already have Marquise Hayes, who's a guard out for the year, and you're kind of going to say, hey, like, things may seem great as far as you get a fourth or fifth round pick for Kelvin Beecham, and then, like, all of a sudden, Josh Jones or DJ Humphreys misses the rest of the year, and suddenly you're like, man, you know, I, I kind of would love to have that fourth or fifth round pick back because, man, I'm the one who's in trouble now for the most part. So I think that that is kind of one of those weird areas of, I think it makes sense in Madden. Now, maybe also, I think, like what you've said, maybe the Cardinals should be looking at moving Beecham to the bench, starting the rookie. There's a logical sense, but there's also like a kind of football and emotional, like an earn this type of place where, you know, the veteran, you kind of let him play out. Maybe this is his last year in the pros for the most part. And you get to kind of send him out with dignity, not having to bench it. But like you said, this is something that as the Cardinal season goes on, it is a not for long league. It's a mercenary league. It's a harsh league. If you get to a point where the Cardinals are out of it, that's when I think player development comes first and forefront. Uh, but otherwise, I would at least say to this point, if you told me that I could get a fourth-round pick for Calvin Beecham on the expiring deal, I would say, yeah, because as long as it's a top-120 pick, they offer a ton. They're a team that's obviously looking to win now. Um that would be something I'd be open to, at least. Uh, I think that the Cardinals are in at least a decent place for that. You could call up Miles as far as the case of emergency break glass. I think that you're probably going to get more likely a conditional seventh type of offer. And I think that you kind of hold off and wait like until the trade deadline, see how it goes, how your team is doing. Because this is a Cardinals team that, like we've kind of mentioned, they're a game away from being one and three. They're also a game away from being two and four. And if you take a look at what the, you know, the rest of the teams in the division have, uh, the Rams at least are going up against the 49ers next week. You could be in tie for first place in the division with one single game next week if the Niners are able to beat the Rams with uh, a beat-up Niners team that just came off of a crucial loss that's played the Rams well. It's a weird place to be in. Uh, But like you said, I think that the biggest thing also with the Cardinals is – the offense, at least, is something that needs an adjustment and needs a fix, but you know that there's at least going to be bodies coming back. This defense, on the other hand, has had issues, and to be fair, like you mentioned, uh, we can talk about it, but Will Hernandez and Justin Pugh, they showed their struggles. Kelvin Beecham had three pressures. Uh, that's one of the things that you'll talk about with Aaron Donald when you face it. What were some of your thoughts about the offensive line? And then we can kind of talk a little bit about you know, Kyler Murray and some of the rest of the offense, but this, I just don't know if you want to mess too much with the offense versus making some investment in the defense at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I would, for me right now, like, you know, un- being unable to gain uh, traction in the run game, that was probably one of the biggest issues I had with the offensive line. You ran the ball 21 times for 70 yards, 3.3 yards, uh, per carry, and, and again, uh, even with Cliff, and I, I've said this before, I never, I hated, I, I, and I'm, I don't say that loosely, I hated re-signing James Conner, and the reason why I hated it was because he is not a dynamic runner or mover, he's not elusive, he's not explosive, he's just a high, upright, high cut, north and south runner. I can draft, one. I can get one of those guys after the draft, mm-hmm. undrafted actually. Right, so for me, like bringing him back and not having 
like there's a lack of juice in the backfield. And, you know, especially when you're running inside zones and stuff, you're reading B gap to B gap as a running back. And it's just very, like, very frustrating because it's like, man, okay, can you do you have the lateral explosiveness and lateral agility to jump cut if one pathway is closed? If that, if you need to take a detour, can you get to the detour? Mm-hmm. And he's not one of those type of backs, one of those cut back, quick, shifty guys that has the quick twitch. It's just he's going to get what's blocked. You know, he's one of those guys that gets the yards mm-hmm. out of design. And I just didn't believe in paying him. And then they signed him for like three years. Like, it, it, it didn't make sense to me. So it's like, okay, you need guys who can create. Guys who, hey, I know that we may not have everything blocked perfectly, but you can get yards over expectation. Yeah. And he's not one of those. He's not one of those backs. Uh, neither is, uh, I think, Darrell Williams. He's not one of those backs particularly either. Um, you know, Benjamin, of course, is a elusive back. But he's not he, – He's on the smaller spectrum, so he's not a full, you know, a bell cow in terms of his build and physicality and everything. So the offensive line and just the pairing of talent at the, at the running back position just kind of doomed it. And I would like to see them be more creative in the run game. Like I always talk about, man, pre-snap motion. I know people, you know, some people in Arizona media don't believe that it's it's a real thing or it matters. It does. It absolutely does. Sure. Miami Dolphins, the Baltimore Ravens, two teams that can run the football. Two teams who are uh, really dangerous offensively. Both of them ranked top ten. Miami's number one in the league mm. uh, in pre-snap motion, right? Like, just it, it helps the, the offensive line because it forces guys to move over, creates advantageous blocking angles, and so forth. So right now, I, I feel like the, the guys need to. I, I don't know what Cliff can. I mean, from a play call standpoint, I'd like to see some more. I know they tried to run the speed option with with Kyler and everything. I. It's just running it with, with a guy. It's so important to have burst. Because once you catch the pitch, especially if it's like, okay, that, that defensive end is in budget, and he's coming at Kyler. Kyler's got to pitch it to you quick. Mm. You need to have the burst, the explosiveness to reel that pat. Once you get that, that pitch in and secure, you kick it in high gear, and you get po- as many yards as possible. As, as, as possible. As many positive yards as possible. And that's just not James Conner. So, I, like I said, I think they can run some, some more read ops, some more um, sprint option or speed option. They can run some zone read with, with Kyler uh, to kind of hold that backside in, make them mm-hmm. look at Kyler and take an extra guy out of the box. Heck, you know, I, I, you know, you think about what we've seen with Greg Roman using the triple option and the, the QB veer and all different ways to really manipulate Running angles and running lanes, I just would like to see better from Cliff as a play caller because uh, right now the run game is just not good outside of when Kyler does his thing. So you exclude mm-hmm. him, there's no run game. Yeah, and that's something I think that comes up is just the idea of what the Cardinals were going to be and what they've turned out. And so far we haven't gotten, I think, the – I'll check if the week three snap counts were, but Trey McBride got, I believe it was, eight snaps on offense – I know some fans have pointed out that it looks like there was a play where he was open in the end zone. The read, it seemed like it wasn't designed to go to him. It was almost like Kyler looks right, clears the safety out of the middle of the field, and then dumps the ball to Connor, who's got a linebacker in coverage. You're right on the goal line. He's a guy who's going to uh, be able to get in in the short. I guess the burst that James Connor has, I think if you had to put it, I would call it short burst. Like you talk about some of these third and three plays, Kyler pitches it. He's able to like fall forward, get the first down, but it's not really the same as having a home run threat. That was something that we saw that they were able to have um, with the likes of a player in uh, Chase Edmonds at times, um, even seeing with Eno Benjamin is more of that type. But it's also, I think, a factor of, like you said, how do you manage your team? How do you manage your running backs? Uh, Cardinals were a team that committed, like you said, $7 million to James Conner. They committed quite a bit to David Johnson. They even had an $8 million option for Kenyon Drake. And I think that the time frame, like I would have said, hey, if you want to extend James Conner, I think you look at more of a two-year type of thing because as we know with running backs, you know, you can even talk about David Johnson. He has this amazing season, like tremendous, goes like above – average for everything he's out 2017 has a 1500 yard season in 2018 and then by 2019 everyone's like oh he gone like he's he's done like he's out james connor similar situation he goes at least has a great year at the steelers gets banged up comes back to arizona and 
it wasn't even like that he was, you know, like you take a look at his 2021 with Arizona. It wasn't like he was a guy that even had like, I think a yards over expectation. It was good, but he was a guy who averaged like about 3.7 yards a carry, but you could at least say, Hey, if the Cardinals line up on third and one or fourth and one, and they hand it off to James Conner twice, you're getting that first down. That was something we even saw in this game against the Rams. Cliff going for it from essentially like his own 30, 35-yard line, gives the ball to James Conner, convert on that fourth down, he picks up like three yards. And that's something that I think is a plus to have, but like you said, you take a look at how the Cardinals um, essentially decided to say, we're going to go ahead and roll with Connor for a bunch of years. We'll trust Eno to kind of pick up the slack. I would love to see someone who looked like they've had a lot more juice being Darrell Williams get quite a few more handoffs. Maybe if you have to go into a three-way split and just look at it, hey, James, we're going to leverage you for these late-game situations when we got to pound teams down. I think some of the James Connor strengths that we saw was late in the game where the Cardinals would have a lead they want to keep the lead, and they're able to pound the football with the big back, just wearing teams down and running out the clock. With these game scripts that you're seeing the Cardinals get down, I think we saw in the Raiders game, getting the ball to a pass catcher who's got a bit more juice in Darrell Williams, involving Eno Benjamin a bit more, even as a receiver. I think that's one step. The other is, I think, the regret of, you look at just the Cardinals rookies, and I think this is kind of always one of those hindsight is twenty twenty, but... I just look at how the Cardinals decided to take my Jay Sanders as a pass rusher, and he was inactive for the third straight game to start the season. You've got issues with your pass rush. Maybe you could put in a package at least that he could play or get some special teams in. And just about seven picks later, the Texans take Damian Pierce, who overall has been a really effective starting running back. It just kind of shows that the Cardinals' idea, I think, of keeping some of their core players around, just some of the positional value. They, they've put a lot of positional value on linebackers and running backs, a lot more than they have with corners. And yeah, it just feels kind of like that's one of the fixes that you'd love to see because... Otherwise, this Cardinals team, it really needs to make, I think, some more adjustments without DeAndre Hopkins. And granted, they did make some adjustments. We'll talk about Kyler Murray here in a second. But it was definitely not something, I think, that was unforeseen, that this team was going to have to run the ball better. They'd have to involve the tight ends more. And it's felt a lot like these you know, 2019 or 2021 teams that didn't have DeAndre Hopkins involved. It's been more of the same. Yeah, it has been, man. So, I mean, like I said, just overall, like, you know, in the offensive line at the end of the day, they, they own some of this, you know, inept run game themselves too. But just not having a guy, you know, 13 carries for 39 yards, three mm-hmm. three yards to carry for James Conner. It's just, you know, even in the you know, business, five for 16, 3.2. Like, it's, just, it's just not good. And it's not, you know, you, you can't win like this so they have to figure out how to get the run the run game going because people want to know why well, hey why aren't they throwing the ball 50 60 yards downfield to marquise brown well when you see two high shells because teams don't respect your run game yep. and they know that they can pressure you with four or even blitz you because your offensive line isn't isn't communicating like in week like in week one against the chiefs where hollywood Bryant had a wide open touchdown but Kyler couldn't get it to him because nobody communicated that they saw. Nobody communicated the slot protection towards the nickel blitz mm-hmm. uh, and got Kyler, you know, a free got a free free hit on Kyler. So it's those things. That's that's for me with the offensive line. Um, and Ertz but, too. Ertz is blocking oh, yeah, very Ertz, subpar yeah. in this game. Yes, but that's to your point too, as you stated earlier. Where's Trey McBride? That's your second round pick, and one of his best traits is blocking pass pass blocking. And run blocking, don't, don't get me wrong. There is a clip of him getting decleted, I think, last week in the in the Raiders game. was not him, actually. I double-checked all of that. It was Steven Anderson. And if you look at the snap count, after that decleting happened, Steven Anderson's snaps just went down. Like, okay. he was gone this week. I think someone he was... Should, uh, someone said it to me, and I was like, wait, is that McBride? Yeah, no, and I, I checked at least for that, it. too. But it was interesting because I was like, oh, as soon as I saw that, I went, I bet that they're going to take away some snaps from Steven Anderson. And we heard, I think, one of the adjustments that the Cardinals made was Max Williams apparently was hurting. They had him on maybe a pitch count 
but they didn't seem to trust Trey McBride or even trust Anderson. So you saw a lot of these five receiver sets with Zach Ertz either having to be the blocker, something he's not good at, or just sending out guys as receivers, hitting the quick pass. They had a lot of protection issues against the Rams from what they'd like to do. And so there's kind of a weird avenue of, like you said, there's a difference between adjusting and like kind of being shorthanded with injuries and also then blaming the injuries when you've kind of drafted the guy that you wanted to be that solution and either are not playing him or he's simply not ready to go and if that's the case then that's just really tough difficult because at some point you almost have to just say all right we're, we're gonna live or die but i'm gonna trust this guy that i'm hoping is gonna be a large part of my franchise out there yeah. that's the reason why you drafted him no, and that would make three consecutive outside of, you know, this draft. It would be three consecutive draft picks, right? Zavin, first it was Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins. Now, Trey McBride, you're going to use the same thing that all three of these guys aren't ready to play, so you're not playing them, and you're acting. I, I feel like there's an identity crisis in the front office of the Arizona Cardinals, Blake, because this isn't, this isn't Buffalo, Right. This isn't you, you're not the Bills. You, you're not a Super Bowl contending team where everyone looks at your roster and say, "When healthy, you're the best team in football." That's not the Arizona the Cardinals. So it's no problem. But even then, the Buffalo Bills they, they don't have Tre'Davious White, their elite star corner, right? What did they do? They came right into that into the season with Christian Benford, who's a six round draft mm-hmm. pick, and Kyler Elam, who they traded up in the first round to get the, in this in the same draft class. And they started both of those kids, two rookies. And this is a team that that has Super Bowl aspirations mm-hmm. and know that they have a Super Bowl roster. And they're not afraid to play their young guys, understanding, like, hey, even when Trey White comes back, we're going to need these two young men, especially from a depth standpoint. Because what happens if Zach Ertz get hurt, gets hurt and Max Williams isn't ready? So if you don't feel like that, if you do not feel as if, Trey McBride is ready now. You, you're really going to hate the fact that somebody gets hurt and you have to thrust him in and he's not ready either, right? Hmm. So it's just, to me, they have to get over that. Play him a lot. Listen, I, I, I said it when I went to the Panthers training camps and I saw Ikea Aquanu struggling. I said, listen, you got to let him learn from those reps, man. Like, you can't just pull a guy in and out of a lineup. You can't use the excuse, I don't know if he's ready. Play him. Play it's not like quarterbacks where, hey, all the, all of the confidence and all of the every all the weight is on that on the on the, the quarterback's shoulders, right? That's not gonna happen to a rookie tight end, right? Fans are gonna be like, we lost the game because Trey McBride didn't make the throw. No, he hmm. he just gotta go out there and get the reps to learn. So I, I I really hope that they get out of their the Cardinals coaching staff in front off is consistently get in their own way. And that's part of the problem why this team cannot meet expectations. Yeah, I, I put down as far as for looking at for what's kind of a fix. And, you know, like you're talking about playing some of these young guys, you know, one of the biggest examples, I think, for that of that is kind of there's a time time sign. There's the time, I guess, time time people talk about. There's a time sign. There is, I think, at least another fix that fans won't like, but I call it the kind crime would be my kind of tame for it, which is you're kind of stubborn where either you're forcing a coach to either play a player that's like, it's just, they're not good. Um, you're putting them there or you're in like, Hey, like a good example would be you got Jace Whitaker out there because the team is not signing a veteran. You got to either play the corners you have, or uh, there's not a corner out there. We didn't address it. We didn't want to address it. Whatever case it is, uh, whether it's a form of, hey, we've paid our money, like we're just, we can't really go and spend extra dollars. We just patched out a ton of money to Kyler Murray. We're coming off of, you know, a reduction in salary cap from the pandemic. Whatever you want to talk about as far as for what the fix is, a lot of like what you've said is is trying to find this idea of development. And we'll, we'll hope that Christian Benford can do well. Apparently he did have a fractured hand on Sunday. So we'll have to yeah, see like yeah. just how that depth for the Bills goes. But uh, it is a place of, speaking of playing him, we've kind of seen, I think, in a couple of places, when the Cardinals have played a lot of those types of players, like, good example, we were just mentioning Isaiah Simmons, snap count was lowered, um, saying, hey, like, you got to play this guy, seeing how Zayvon Collins, how he's at least been able to make plays and has shown struggles. Mm-hmm. 
the one name I think you look at is Andy Isabella because he gets into the game after an injury to AJ Green and it was probably two of the biggest game-changing plays I think that you could have. One was a holding call on a block that was a very clear and obvious holding call, sets the Cardinals back, kind of gets them off of a drive that they had a good run. Uh, I think it was a screen pass to Eno Benjamin on. And then a deep ball, which you can talk about play calling and how the Cardinals take their shots. It was a spot where Kyler Murray talked about it after the game, said, you got to be prepared that I may throw it to you at any moment. I've got control. I can see things. That was a spot where while the Cardinals were essentially in third in a situational, they took that deep shot in Indy Isabella to not even expect the ball, to not be down there, to even be able to make a play on it. At worst, you could maybe come back to the ball or try to get a flag. Sometimes that's a case where you're at least testing the coverage of a defense. You also could look at that, man, if that safety had been playing in the proper spot and would have had a chance to get that ball, like that could have been an interception. It just really shows that, wow, that's why Greg Dortch has been getting all of these snaps because the Cardinals yes. clearly are seeing, you know, Dortch had another great game. They're clearly having Hollywood Brown goes off. There's a spot where you got to say, man, like the Cardinals, like you said, at some point you kind of almost have to cut bait or admit that you've done something wrong instead of kind of holding on to some of that stubbornness mm -hmm. or, you know, hey, we can get a seventh for Andy. Like, we just got to get something. We spent a second on this guy. Let's no. get a seventh round cut pick bait. for him. I agree with you. Sometimes you just got to cut bait. I think that we'll see what goes on with Isaiah Simmons here. Like, I think you give him the rest of the year, then maybe you talk about, you know, if the Cardinals are going to move on or so something that they – you know, didn't really do with the likes of a Hassan Reddick. Um, there's just a lot, I think, with Arizona that comes down to it. I think the end of the day, and this is something we talked to our site manager, Seth Cox, about, I think the Cardinals thought they had an identity on offense from 2021, and I think they said, hey, we took DeAndre Hopkins off the field. We lost J.J. Watt. That identity is still set in place. We just need to make sure we get healthy. I think they've come into this year and teams have realized, hey, Let's focus on taking away the run, and that includes Kyler Murray's legs. We'll take away that deep ball, that deep passing game where they can't really take a shot every once in a while. Like, we won't show a single high safety for all these deep passes. We'll let them throw that ball to A.J. Green against Jalen Ramsey because it's a 50-50 ball. Like, they want to, you know, take that deep shot on third and two and have to punt if they don't get it. Cool, we'll let them take that shot. And I think 100%. that the Cardinals have had to adjust. We've seen them adjust by... The, uh, the Rams gave up essentially. Hey, you want to get dink and dunk 10 yards per catch for Marquise Brown? Cool. We'll give up that 10 yards per catch, but you're not going to get that uh, that deep passing play. The Cardinals had one shot in this game, really, to get that deep passing play to Hollywood, and it ended up being about a yard and a half too much for the most part. That was kind of like just the team played everything and said, we will let you dink and dunk down. And then we saw the same thing happen with the Chiefs a season ago. And how did the Chiefs get around it? Well, they started to move to more tight end sets, to running the ball, because they realized, hey, if teams don't respect us running the ball and they have to find better ways to force teams to drop that safety down to beat them or being able to create a new type of offense if we're going to have to do these 12 personnel two tight end stretches, knowing that that's going to be our best matchup to win. Um, that's one of the things the Cardinals offense essentially was Greg Dortch and Hollywood Brown. And, you know, I think the question I say to you, Damian, is how much of that is a talent issue where you look at that and say, man, like this offense, it's bad because it's only Hollywood Brown because it's Greg Dortch. You've got Andy Isabella having to be like a deep catcher. Is that where the offense is struggling? And we just need DeAndre Hopkins and Rondale Moore to come back. Or is there more of a fundamental, like, change the Cardinals need to go through and at least to this point Cliff and Kyler and company have just not wanted to go through it I think it's both uh, I think it's I think it's both fundamental and talent right now especially you have you know two players that were supposed to play prominent roles one's on suspension until week seven and he has to get back in the game shape so don't you can't really expect too too much out of him on his first week or first few weeks back I would say but the other who you really had a big plan for in Rondale Moore where things look a little different with teams having to look at Hollywood Brown, Greg Dorch, Rondale Moore on the on the you know in the lineup and it's like man that speed, that shiftiness, that run after catch ability, things like that. And then at the end of the day just a play calling from Cliff just being so bland. Um especially for a guy who's supposed to be a offensive guru and all those other stuff that that, mm -hmm. that they listed when they when he came into the league and why they hired him so i think it's a little bit of both uh blake but um 
Let, let's let's uh, let's jump into the preview. We got the Panthers this week. Yeah, no, I think that this is like, and this is what we can talk about here is when you talk about the Cardinals and their status without DeAndre Hopkins, where the rest of the teams are. There's a much different feeling about two and two mm-hmm. than there is about even even two and yes. three than there is about one and three because you've got to win two games not to even get into the red but to or to the black excuse me but to get out of the red just to get to even you then have to win three games just to be able to get a winning record so that just shows how it's crazy to think about one game being this important during the season but that's just kind of how it goes this is a quarter of the nfl season like i know there's a 17th game it's a little different maybe you can say teams are just kind of having an extra preseason <coughs> game in week one whatever whatever this is a pivotal game because I think it's going to determine whether you fall behind or if you can at least keep pace, which is all the Cardinals need to do. If you believe that the Cardinals are going to get their problems, and I think that we're going to see a very different offense if you get a healthy DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise Brown on the other side, replacing A.J. Green, who's got a bone bruise, came out of the game. And unfortunately, like I said, some people said it's a plus when Green came out of the game. And then you saw Andy Isabella play, and you went, oh, this is why like Antoine Wesley being hurt is a big deal. This is why the Cardinals were committed to bringing back AJ Green because man it's it may not be great but the drop off was was pretty steep this is a game that has so much going for it Cardinals have never beaten the Panthers as far as the Cliff Kingsbury era has gone they haven't beaten them dating back I think at least even to that playoff game that they had for the most part I think they got one win in 2017 against them unless I'm mistaken um, it's kind of like the one Arians revenge game um, I'll, I'll have to check on that but you've also got Matt Rule, a coach that Cliff Kingsbury has never beaten as far as it goes back to college, back in the days of Baylor versus Texas Tech. No matter who his quarterback was, P.J. Tucker, Kyle Allen, and you've got a guy on the other side in Baker Mayfield who's motivated to beat Cliff Kingsbury, his former coach, but has never beaten the Cardinals. It's, it's a fascinating kind of almost a nexus, I think you could say, of Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray and Matt Rule and Baker Mayfield. It's almost like all of their careers in the NFL kind of pointed to this nexus, and I think it's a huge game for both teams. No, it absolutely is. And typically, the reason why, you know, the, the Panthers are a physical team to, from the way they're built. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of athleticism, a lot of length, a lot of physicality uh, in the trenches, especially in the back end. And let's, let's uh, I mean, you know, you know, typically where we start out with those three keys to victory and um, for the Cardinals to, 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 to win this game, it's going to be better. I'm going to start off with better pass protection, right? You got Brian. Brian Burns is probably one of the more underrated pass rushers in the league, but I'm telling you, I've seen him in person. I sat beside him, uh, you know, when I was at camp. You know, he's tall, he's long, he's bending, explosive. He can really cause issues for mm-hmm. our tackles. I think DJ Humphreys will be the one to see him. I'm. I would be. Very, I would be very. Or I would definitely be on high alert if I'm Kyler, and I know this Brian Burns is over by Kelvin. I'm, I want to slide protection because his 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 ability to we talk about that Von Miller bend the way I can get as low as the limbo bar and get underneath your arms. That's what Brian Burns can do as well, and he's a taller, longer guy. Like that's the crazy part about it. And um, you know what you try to do against guys like that is run the ball and run at him to try and take that away from him, right? So just pa- better pass protection. Mm-hmm. Derek Brown, their defensive tackle in the middle of the middle of defense, is, is is a talented young man as well. Uh, Yitor Grossmatos uh, has added some weight, and I think he kicks down. He reduces inside on passing downs. And then they got Marquise. I think it's Haynes um, is one of their speed rushers on, on their uh, sub packages. So they have the front that they don't have to blitz. They can rush for and drop guys in the coverage. But also, they have the coverage guys, too, right? They have Jeremy Chin, who can go one-on-one with Zach Ertz just fine. Hmm. J.C. Horn and C.J. Henderson and uh, Dante Jackson, those guys can man up with our receivers. So in a situation like that, you know, you just got to be able to protect Kyler. So just so in case Kyler needs to make some off-script plays and improvise, let him be able to do that on his own, not because he's running for his life. Right, absolutely. I think, like you said, running away to run the football, better pass protection, at least for all that, even with the offensive 
um, weapons in general for the most part, just needing to see that offensive boost. I think that Trey McBride is very possibly the answer to each of those questions right there. Like, you have needing better pass protection. We'll see if Justin Pugh, how his status goes. Credit him for playing through. It seems to be a nasty elbow injury. It was probably a little better. Max Garcia came in at one time and... You know, the Cardinals, you're down to offensive guard four because you're missing your rookie draft pick in Marquise Hayes. Uh, not Marquise Haynes. He's a player who's actually been performing well for the Panthers. Uh, you're missing, obviously, the guy you traded for who's on IR. is going to be out for sure, at least for next week. And um, this is out of, um, oh, gosh, I don't even know why the name's escaping me, at least here for the most part. But um, I'll have to remember it in a second. Oh, you're missing offensive guard two. Uh, from the Cardinals, at least, and that's something that you're like, gosh, like you really are kind of needing Justin Pugh to play. Uh, but the one thing I'll say, at least, is you have to be able to take care of the ball yourself and force the, the uh, force the Panthers to make a mistake. Because that's the thing. Baker's shown he'll give the ball away. You can get a takeaway. Last week, however, the Panthers' defense, they forced takeaways of the Saints, including a fumble for six. Um, that's ultimately what happened, uh, and it would be... Um, here, I've got that right here as far as for who is on IR. You've got Cody Ford is his name. And I did check that the Panthers, like, this is this is like the Cardinals against the Rams. The Panthers have n not lost a game to the Cardinals since 2013. I had to double check. I thought that they played them in 2017. I was wrong. They did play them in 2016. Panthers won. So, Damien, this is a decade of a team that's beaten you. The Cardinals need to exercise some of these demons to keep their 2-2 two two yes. season alive. Um, I was going to say, what is your X factor for this game? Because we talked about the three keys to victory, better pass pro, offensive weapons, and finding a way to run the football, forcing takeaways. What is your X factor for this game? Uh, I think it's Kyler Murray's legs. Um, you know, just... Being able to make plays off off schedule, make some off script uh, plays with his leg, extend some plays with his feet, and you know, again, I would like to see Cliff just dial up more action, Kyler Murray action in the run game, where he, even if he's not carrying the ball, just not just the the speed option, but like I said, the zone reads and even some triple option, like just get creative with it. You know, we've seen that with Greg Roman, with Colin Kaepernick, and. Lamar Jackson, even Tyrod Taylor. Hmm. So I think Kyler Murray's legs could be really uh, pivotal because with those guys in that, that secondary for Carolina, if they're able, you know, if they're playing good coverage and Kyler's able to turn some things into scramble drills, that's how you also generate some um, some non-dialed up big plays, some unscripted big explosive plays. It's just move at the launch point, make guys trying to scramble around and follow their receivers next thing you know, Marquise Brown is going up, turn, turns up field, and hmm. Kyler hits it because Kyler can throw on the run very well, and he hits him in stride for a big play. So I think that that would be good, you know, to be able to use his legs in all facets, the run game, uh, the pass game, get him with some boot action, man. Move the launch point. Make those guys chase it. We saw that hmm. in week two, right? When Kyler started moving around, that pass rush for, for the Raiders, it started to die. Yeah. You know, more and more as the game went on because – it goes from, okay, you're stationary and we're pass rushing you to we're chasing you. And this is exhausting. So it's like Kyler doesn't lose speed or tempo. Or he doesn't get tired like that. But the but the defensive line will. So I think just his legs could be the X factor. Yeah, I think even if you look at PFF grades, when the Cardinals had bad coverage and when their run blocking on offense was down – those were bad losses. You look at the Raiders game, what stands out is the Cardinals had almost an elite run grade, and a lot of that, of course, being due to Kyler Murray. And the coverage was adequate. Like, it didn't have to be elite. It just had to be adequate. So I think I agree with you. I've got, as far as for my X factor, like you said, I almost have for, I want to see the other guys play. Like, I think Kyler Murray is an obvious one. But with Richard Lawrence likely getting surgery and being out, you've got Lucky Foe, too, and Michael Dogby. And you're going up against Christian McCaffrey. I think if the Cardinals are able to stop the run for the most part and force the Baker to be one-dimensional, if they can get pressure at least on him, that's, I think, going to be one of the areas. Because I think that if you can't stop that up front with that rushing attack, it's game over. Like, you mm -hmm. will go on the road and you'll see a similar blowout to what we saw in years past because you're going to have to at some point then realize, man, if we got to bring our safety down to cover the run, 
Panthers have all sorts of weapons. You're going to have to be able to find a way to be effective up front. And I think that's really hopefully going to then be a driving factor for the pass rush, for the coverage, uh, for everything else. And then, like you said, running the ball. That's, I think, the key to this Cardinals offense. I think that's the identity that you need uh, instead of Kyler Murray throwing for, I believe it was an all-time was an all-time high of like what was it 58 attempts i believe it's like a record yeah it's incredible so uh let's go ahead and get into our score prediction at least so we can get out of here today i've got the panthers winning this game by a field goal i think that until you can see a cardinals team be able to beat the panthers it's kind of like the rams you pick against them for the most part i think i picked the cardinals last week and i do think that i was justified somewhat in it was a winnable game it just ended up being yeah. that the rams took advantage of a bunch of Cardinals mistakes up front. We saw the Cardinals go on the road and lose to this Carolina team before. We'll see how desperation pans in. I've got the Panthers 23 to 20 right now, but we'll have to see. Cause I said last week, Hey, it wouldn't shock me if the Rams blow up the Cardinals, but I have them winning. This is more of, I'm picking the Panthers, but it would not shock me if the Cardinals go out there and get a win. What do you have? Damon? I have, uh, I have the Cardinals win at 21-13. I think it's a low-scoring game. And the reason why, uh, Vance Joseph has has been known to blitz a lot, Blake, and, and really try to pressure quarterbacks. Well, luckily, this is a quarterback that's not good against the blitz. Hmm. Um, there you go. Baker Mayfield, uh, in his, 50, um, oh, his 40 attempts of dropbacks when blitzed, he is 16 of 35 for 45%. He's average, he, he throws for uh, 208 yards, and his yards per attempt is less than six. And he's thrown one touchdown, one interception. He's only thrown, I think, three touchdowns in the season, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, but when he's under pressure, he's only completing 43% of his passes, 10 of 23 on his uh, 37 dropbacks, right? He's, uh, you know, 203 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. So when you can pressure him and you can get to him, you can rattle him, and that's just – what it is. So I expect possibly I, I would like to see some of Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, but of course, Buddha Baker showing, getting up to the last scrimmage, showing some simulated pressures, getting in the head of Baker Mayfield, not allowing him to be comfortable pre-snap, drop it off and then come back to it and hit him up, light him up, get into his head, start smacking him around a little bit. Then he starts getting a little toesy, a little antsy. And then he throws you one. So, uh, you know, he's going to – he and then the, the, the scheme for, that they're running with Ben McAdoo is just not good. So, and, and this is a winnable game for sure. Of a team. We'll see how that goes for the most part on Sunday. It's a huge game. We get to find out once and for all if the Cardinals can conquer that Matt Rule threat. Uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up there. That's the end of our episode. I'm Blake Murphy. You can find me on Twitter at BlakeMurphy7. You can find Damien at DP underscore NFL. Make sure you're following us at ROTB Pod. Uh, Damien, hopefully we're talking about a Cardinals W next week, getting back to 2-2 two and two and getting back into the division. Awesome. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in, and go Cards.